you have to find that thing that's really about you or what you care deeply, you know, and I kind of go back to when I finally was able to like marry my environmental activism and ideas with my artwork. That's when it really became meaningful to me. Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to discussion and exploration of art in the creative process. I'm your host and creator, Aaron S, and for this week's episode, I had a conversation with the amazing Rebecca Yusa. Rebecca is an artist based in LA who creates eco-driven mixed media art. Using sustainable materials such as cardboard and grocery bags, Rebecca challenges us to rethink the concept of value within art and asks us to question how we decide what is and what isn't valuable. So I'm going to start where I start with everybody, which is just tell us a bit about yourself and how you became an artist. Sure. I'm Rebecca Youssef. I'm a Los Angeles-based mixed media artist using repurposed recycled materials in an effort to have a more sustainable zero-waste studio. I never thought or planned I'd become an artist. Um, I've always been creative. I come from a really creative family. My sister, my cousin are both graphic designers. My aunt was a fashion designer. Uh, My mother always wanted to become an architect, but she chose or felt she had to choose a safer path. So she became a teacher. And I remember my parents telling me when I went off to college, and I was still undecided about what to study. They said, choose a profession that's always in demand. You know, like yeah. world will always need a te- teachers or nurses, et cetera. And so I always had that in the back of my mind. Um, up until college, art had always been a way um, for me to escape or as like a coping mechanism. My family moved from the East Coast of the United States to Hawaii which was 6,000 miles away. That's insane. Yeah, when I was uh, nine years old. And so, you know, we left a huge family behind and all my friends. And, oh, man, I was was so sad. And I hated being the new kid in a new place, new culture, everything. And so I started writing a lot. And, you know, writing these stories, always about a girl like my age doing all these crazy things. And then I started illustrating those stories. And in fourth grade, I I won this like writing and drawing contest. And that was like my first taste of validation that I was kind of good at something. Um, but my parents were never super supportive of me wanting to study art. So Um, when I went off to college, I just took a bunch of classes, different classes. And I found that I just loved anything having to do with art or horticulture. So I took a bunch of theater classes, architecture, art history, botany, um, desert horticulture. And, but it was when I took my first painting class that I felt like, okay, this is what I should be doing. And so I became a painting and ceramics major. That's how it all started. That's a very fascinating trajectory. And actually, so the one of the great things about me doing these interviews is that everybody has such a different beginning. 
like even if the end goal in many ways is similar like everybody's start is so different because some like i think it's fascinating that your parents actually weren't that supportive of you being an artist yet here you are as a full-time artist like that's really fascinating because you know that shows a lot of determination to get on your part as well that's the thing because you know i think your parents yeah. it's, it's easy to influence what your parents want you to do and I, I know a lot of people who are like lawyers and doctors because that's what their parents wanted them to be but to be something like an artist i think that's um actually really really fascinating and so writing so that's that okay so i'm going to say fascinating a lot in this interview because that is fascinating but like writing there's something about words and language that i feel like conjures up really good visuals so it's not a surprise that writing kind of got you started into kind of the creative journey and is that something that you're still using your work now yeah you know it's funny I've never kept up a consistent sketchbook I've I'm not a big sketcher even in art school at professors I mean it was like they were always getting on me about not sketching because I preferred to write I feel like getting your ideas down on paper and really hashing out those ideas, that's what helped me kind of formulate the work much more so than kind of sketching it out. Cause I always had an idea of what it was going to look like in my head, but I had to really figure out conceptually, well, what is, what is it I'm trying to say and convey here? Ah, so why is art important to you? Well, like I said, art was always my escape and my coping mechanism. I was that kid who was always like doodling in the margins of my notebooks while I was supposed to be taking notes in class. Hmm. So like drawing and doodling allowed me to sort of drift off into uh, a more interesting place than where I was. And it was also a way to decompress because it was relaxing. Because I think after we moved, that was really stressful. The first like year, it was really stressful being in this new environment. And um, I used to draw a lot of a lot of patterns and did a lot of line work. And I would fill notebooks with these little hash marks that would form these elaborate patterns. And there was something just really meditative about it. So early on, I think art was more therapeutic than anything else. I just think it's a an interesting question to ask because I feel like at least I wonder like how many artists actually sit down and ask themselves why art is important to them because it's something you've dedicated your life to. You know, it's like it's now like a part of you, and it's kind of interesting to see how you've kind of got from the stage of like you know, looking at it as an outsider to now becoming it becoming part of you. Because I think, you know, not everybody is, is necessarily creative or not everybody is necessarily an artist. You know, so it's always nice just to think about why it's important to you and also like why you have decided that this is what you want to do. I don't know. I like, I think being intro- introspective is always a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like the origin story of like, how, how were you drawn to it? So... Yeah, it wasn't just like, oh, I love art and I love taking art classes. It was really more out of a necessity. Like I needed to find a way to to decompress and to process everything going on. Yeah, because I think you're right. Like it's an outlet, isn't it? It's like catharsis. It gives you, uh, it just gives you, as you said, yeah, it's escapism, you know, which I think a lot of artists use art as escapism. And I think there's something really fascinating about that in terms of like, 
feeling the need to escape from reality. And there's something very interesting there in terms of like the whole idea of that kind of whole conversation. But um, anyway, getting back to these questions. Hey, so you studied at the University of Arizona for painting and ceramics, um, mm-hmm. and you got your master's in art education. So what was your, what was the experience of studying um, an art-based subject? And like, what are your thoughts on art education? Well, speaking from when I taught art, I'll start with that. Yeah. So I've taught art with kids ranging in age from three to 18. And you know who the best artists are? Take a guess. The three-year-olds. Three-year-olds. <laughs> they are incredible because, you know, they're not self-conscious yet. Yeah. You'll never hear exactly. A three or four year old saying, I can't draw. I'm not artistic. They, you know, they haven't learned any cliches yet. They just express themselves in the most pure form. Um, And, you know, that starts to wane as soon as they get into grade school. You know, they start to um, draw from memory and not draw from what they see. You know, the house drawing being like, the quintessential example you know you have this house it has a door it's got two windows and the smokestack with the curly cue of smoke coming out of it the sun off in the corner with the beams right yeah. um kids will start to be concerned about how their art looks and how it if it's rendered perfectly and then when i taught high school which is ages like 14 to 18 in the states first day of class Without fail, kids would come in and say, I can't draw. I'm not artistic. And I always had to explain that I didn't care if they could draw. Um, I wasn't concerned with perfect rendering. I was interested in how they interpret what they see. You know, we can all witness the exact same event. But when asked individually what we saw, we'd all have a different take on it. And the same goes for when you're looking at the same still life. You won't see what I see. And I really want to see how it appears through your eyes. Um, The art education curriculum has changed a lot from the time I was in art school to the time that I was in grad school. Um, When I was in art school, I never heard the term social justice used. Art making was very self-referential you know it was all about me and my experience etc now art is not only used as an accessible tool for communication but also for raising awareness about social issues and in turn being able to actually have positive change enact change the art making that I was doing and that I saw being made in art school uh, wasn't necessarily created to enact any change. It was more to document an experience, which isn't a bad thing. It just, that's how it was. Um, But yeah, no, it's, it's really changing into more of kind of like a purpose driven art curriculum, which is cool, which is great. That's a really interesting way to actually consider art in terms of documenting experience or kind of like emphasizing change. That's I'm going to write this down because I feel like that's going to be like a potential future question or consideration somewhere. Um, yeah. Well, and I mean, we are documentarians as artists. That's 
kind of part of the job is to document what is going on at the time and um and you know but and it can really influence culture and enact change but i think um yeah for some reason when i was in art school that wasn't the focus now it seems to be like the focus like how can we really um be part of a positive impact and change see that's a really good consideration and actually it's kind of interesting because the very first artist i interviewed for the podcast um uh, a really really wonderful article at enzymes um her work is all about change and about um like positivity and it's about you know making sure that we understand the idea of beauty and, and you know topics such as that and i think it's kind of interesting that people turn to art to invoke change or to raise awareness because I think art's so much more accessible to a lot of people as opposed to like, you know, say having, being an influencer or having a large platform, say for instance. And like, do you feel like anyone could be an artist? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I do. I don't see why not. Um, now, are you asking like, do people need to have an arts education? Well, isn't art education important to be an artist? Like do artists need some kind of formal education? Uh, no, they don't need it. But I mean, I, I loved going to art school because I did things that uh, there was so much experimentation, you know, experimentation was highly encouraged. And you aren't creating art under the guise of, oh, you know, I got to I got to make this marketable. I I need to sell this. It is hmm. strictly just like reckless abandonment, you know, like just yeah. go crazy and try everything. And I mean, I've only saved a few paintings from art school because most of them were shit. <laughs> and that's how it should be. Yeah. You know? You know, actually, that's a good consideration, actually. So rather than like an artist necessarily going to like art school per se, because I always feel like, but I did a photography degree and for me, like it was the connections I made in that year, in the, that year, those few years, <laughs> it was more than a year. And those few years that I went there, um, I think they were a lot more longer lasting than whatever I was taught because I feel like whatever you're taught isn't really necessary for you to become a, any kind of creative. It's just kind of more ticking boxes, but I feel like it's connections you make. But actually maybe if people just had the ability to have like a period of time, like maybe say a year just to experiment and try to kind of, almost find themselves as an artist or at least kind of try new things as an artist because I kind of feel like a lot of the time you're kind of tied down by what you the kind of box you put yourself in you know you kind of say like oh I'm I'm an abstract artist or I'm a figurative artist or I'm a landscape artist or I'm a you know graphic designer you you, you kind of put a label on what you do and that kind of sometimes ties you down and like yourself for instance like you are many things actually so it's kind of interesting to see you be kind of multidisciplinarian, but like, how do you, how do you define yourself without putting yourself into a box? Um, well, I don't mind the box. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I feel like I have a, a small, a niche that I don't mind if, you know, I'm sort of pigeonholed as, oh, 
maker, that artist that uses repurposed materials and you grow trees and you're trying to inform people about that. Like, I don't mind. Like, that is what I do. <laughs> and it, that's fine with me. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah, I don't mind the box. The box is fine. Put me in a box. I don't care. <laughs> that's actually very interesting. I feel like a lot of artists I've spoken to very much don't like the idea of being boxed in, even though it kind of comes with the territory of being an artist. Because at some point, someone will ask you what you do. And given your answer, they will make an informed decision of what you mm-hmm. are because of what you do. Um, I think that's really, really interesting that you actually don't care. You don't mind for the box. And actually, mm-hmm. that is not an issue for you, which I think is, I guess, in a way, it could be good because it gives you your own limitations. It allows you to be able to figure out what you can and what you can't do or what you do or what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because well, I know what I know what I'm doing. I know my lane. And, um, you know, it's I'm not something super specific like I'm a landscape painter or you know I'm the kind of art that I create which I feel like more purpose-driven and materials-based and it's more sort of an ideology than it is necessarily like a genre of painting I don't consider myself just like a um, an upcycle artist or something like that Mm. there's you know kind of more ideas behind it so i mean yeah i don't feel boxing and but yeah i don't i don't really pay attention to it actually so you're a full-time artist what was the leap like into being a full-time artist oh that's a good question because i mean i dreamt of being an artist for about the last 15 years but i had three small kids during that time and it just it wasn't possible Once they were all in school, I started getting back into my art practice little by little, and I've been back at it mostly full-time for the last six or seven years. But, you know, I used to lay in bed at night and just create in my head thinking, okay, one day I'm going to get back at it. But right now I just, you know, I can't. And I remember it was, I was laying in bed one night when my first child was a baby and that was the time I remember specifically the night I had the idea to work on paper bags. I'm like, one day I'm going to do that. Um, so timing has to be right. And, but there also has to be an element of just going for it. You know, it's, it's, it's a leap of faith (laughs) and, but yeah, but timing's got to be right. So the reason I ask, because I talk to a lot of artists who want to be full-time artists, but they just don't know, Mm-hmm. how or when to make that transition and it's kind of like I always say to people not that I'm anyone to give any advice but I always say to people like enjoy doing stuff part-time because when you're a full-time artist you're going to be doing art 24 7 and it will be be you know all consuming and I wanted to ask you like are there any drawbacks to being a full-time artist and like do you have any advice for anyone who wants to become a full-time artist um the drawbacks, I think just, you know, all the, the wearing of all the different hats as as a full-time artist, um, you know, especially when you'd rather just be in your studio creating all the time. But there's a lot of other, you know, things you got to tend to. However, I will say I'm starting to embrace the 
the business side of being an artist, um, the learning curve is tough at times, yeah. you know, but I like to control everything. So, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a control freak. So if I have to learn a new app or a new platform, then, you know, I just suck it up and do it. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I turned my online portfolio into an e-commerce site. And I swear I must have watched like every Squarespace webinar there was out there. But, you know, I just have a problem with outsourcing. I, you know, and I couldn't outsource my website. I just, I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted. And I knew I had to learn how to do it myself. And for the most part, I did. Um. And, you know, another challenge, probably the biggest challenge for me is the constant having to market your work and try and get as many eyes on it as possible. And especially when you are battling self-doubt or questioning the quality of your work, because, you know, you go up and down, you'll love something you make, and then you'll hate everything you're making. But you constantly have to get it out there. So to be putting it out there when you're not feeling good about it is just mentally, it's tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a necessary evil. Mm. So how do you actually determine your self-worth as an artist? I think once I started marrying my environmentalism with my art because I used to keep them very separate um both I was I was equally passionate about both but I for whatever reason I, I just didn't know how to bring them together and when I did finally marry the two it was like magic I mean it it it, it changed everything for me And I feel like once I tapped into that, something, something that I cared deeply for and was able to express it through my art, it just made, it reinforced in me that what I'm doing is right and good, not necessarily like good aesthetically, but just good (laughs) as in, you know. Like it just feels right. And, you know, you you feel like you're doing the right thing without knowing if you are doing the right thing. Exactly. Because I feel like, only because like art is so subjective and we'll get onto your work in a second, but art is very, very subjective. And I feel like as somebody who creates art, it's very, very hard to see how other people see you and your work. And also your work is also a part of you. So it's like, it's hard to determine kind of like your own value because you're the one creating the work, you know, how long it took, you know, what the effort it it, it took to make. So it's hard to kind of really figure out if it's worth anything, or if so, what is it worth? You know, because obviously you're selling your work, you're trying to make money, you know, you want to make a living. So it's it's like, how do you actually, and this probably was a question for later, but these never go in order, so it's fine. But like, how do you kind of determine price? And I was talking about pricing, I haven't talked about work yet, but anyway, um, how do you determine like the pricing of your work? Or like kind of, how do you set, like a certain kind of standard for your work and like oh I'm not going to go below this price oh that was really hard in the beginning um and then I think if you're as prolific as I am yes um 
you want work to just get out of your studio. <laughs> and so <laughs> you kind of come up with a, you know, a pricing system that's like, okay, I can let this go and be out of my life forever at this price point. And kind of that's the jumping off point. And plus, I mean, when I, even when I was in grad school, I could never part with any of my work. It was really weird. And then something shifted as I got into my full-time art practice and I was just creating, creating, creating. I then, not that I became detached from it, but I was able to let it go. And um, so, yeah, creating a price structure. I mean, that's, that's hard, but I do have one in place and I'm comfortable with it. I also yeah. want to keep my work accessible. Yes. And so it's, you know, at all different price points. That's why I love working big, but I also will work small so that, you know, I have something for everyone. So I wonder if you at grad school not letting go of your work is because you didn't know if you were going to create any more necessarily in the future. But because you're a full-time artist now, you know that if you get rid of everything that you've created now, you'll create more because the ideas are always there. Yeah. And also in art school, I was using so many different materials. I mean, I would paint on anything and use anything to paint with. So I was experimenting with all these different materials and that I think every time I produced something, it felt so original to me, you know, like, oh, I've never worked with sheet metal before. Oh, I've never worked with corrugated tin. And so I just kind of wanted to like hang on to all of it because it was a, it represented a, a piece of a place in time for me. And, um, and yeah, like, I don't know if I'll ever work with corrugated tin again. So I kind of wanted to like just hold on to everything. And now I just, I'm ready to release it all. <laughs> That's a really interesting idea. The idea of like art as a marker for time. Yeah. You give me a lot of really interesting kind of like vague ideas and thoughts that might become questions or just considerations that I'm going to sit down and think about uh, mm. the time. That's really interesting consideration because it's like your art really is just a document of your time. That's what it really is in many yeah. ways. Like that sounds very basic and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but that's all it kind of is, 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 you know, I always say to like, I always say to people like social media is just about existence. It's not really about anything else. It's about reminding people you exist. That's really what it is. It's not about actually anything else beyond that. And I feel like art might be the same. Maybe yeah. the creation of art is just to remember, to remind people we still exist because at the end of the day, if we don't make art and we don't make things, people won't remember. Maybe that's what mm. it is. Maybe. Um, so for those who have not seen it, can you please describe your work? Sure. Uh, well, first, I don't buy any commercially made paper products. I use materials that have been deemed used or disposable. I reuse and upcycle cardboard boxes, paper bags, or I make paper myself from, you know, junk mail and my kids' schoolwork. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, I've seen I, the YouTube video, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always forget about that. Um, I really strive to put green methods at the heart of my art practice. I'm not a hundred percent there by any means, but it's something I'm always, always thinking about. Um, my work really serves as a conversation starter surrounding environmental issues while 
showcasing the longevity of the materials I use beyond their original function. I want to challenge the definition of value and beauty. I I like exploring like what makes something valuable and can a low status utilitarian material like cardboard be elevated to something of beauty and then deemed valuable. That's sort of a theme I'm I'm interested in and it spills over into the reforestation work that I do with planting trees. Like how do I get people to value trees and see them as a necessity and not something that's merely decorative, et cetera. But yeah, that's that's a whole other story. But there are a lot of parallels between the two. Um and then I also use uh I've been saving all my used drop cloths for years. I mean, I've had a pile of them thinking, <laughs> okay, one day I'm gonna use them for something because I just can't throw it. I, I have a problem. Every time I throw something away, I think about like the landfills. So I'm like, I cannot put these oh. drop cloths in the trash. So I've been saving them and now I've been starting to rip them up and using them in my collages. So that's been fun. So that's incredibly fascinating. And I actually really love the idea of taking stuff that is quote unquote, you know, trash, I guess in many ways people would say and turning it into mm-hmm. art and actually giving it a value. And actually how interesting it is that something that is considered art is considered more valuable than something that is already just what it is. Like that's yeah. a really interesting conversation as well. Like the idea of value and how do we value things? And I think that's a really fascinating idea actually, particularly cardboard. And I actually really want to talk to you about your cardboard collages series. Um, mm-hmm. um, but before we do that, I just want to ask you the idea of like, your work is very abstract, I guess. It's probably one of the best ways to put it. I don't know if you like that term. I don't mind it. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm glad because the question is about abstract art. <laughs> so um, yeah, like, so do you think that abstract art is underappreciated? Um, well, so I compare abstract art to comedic acting. Okay. Comedic acting looks like it's easier to do than say like dramatic acting, but it's a lot harder to do and do it well. How about that? Yes, that is actually a really, really great. Yeah, that's actually a really great kind of parallel. Actually, you're right. And the reason I ask is because I don't know if anybody's probably noticed, but you are the first quote unquote abstract artist I've spoken to in about what, 50, over 50 episodes, because I, this is probably a a very bad confession, but I have no idea, or at least I'm never really comfortable talking about abstract art because I find it very hard because it's very intuitive. It's not necessarily aesthetic in the same way, say like a landscape or a portrait is where you know what you're looking at. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm always really interested in, and actually the conversation I had with one of my good artist friends, and I was saying about, we were talking about abstract art, and I said to him, if I ever if I ever interview any abstract artists, I'll send you some, send them over to you for some questions, which is funny, because I have no idea what to say. Um, but it was kind of interesting just because, like, do you think that your work being more intuitive and more kind of considered gives you any advantages over, say, like, traditional landscapes or traditional portraits? Well, it's funny, because I don't... <laughs> Even though I say, oh, I'm an abstract mixed media artist, I don't really um, identify as much with the abstract part Mm. because I'm such a process-based artist and a material 
sales space that I always I tend to forget that, oh yeah, okay, this is not representational or landscape, you know, et cetera. Although sometimes my abstract works, I think they look very um, much like landscapes. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. Where did the idea of using this media techniques come from? Well, like I said, in art school, we were really, really encouraged to experiment, try all different uh, materials, et cetera. But when I was in art school, I didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> so yeah. I uh, I think that's where the using found objects came from because I just couldn't afford a lot of you know art supplies. And so I started going to um, thrift stores to buy. For some reason, the thrift store by my house sold old hospital sheets, like used hospital sheets. (laughs) That is. (laughs) And they were only 50 cents, which, you know. That's that's cheap, but that's um, (laughs) a bit disconcerting, actually. (laughs) I know. It was a little weird. So there were these sheets. They had the hospital name stamped on them. And so I used to buy those and that was what I would use for canvas. And um, I had a professor who, um, you know, always encouraged us like, you know, he loved uh, flat latex house paint. He's like, it's <laughs> great. That's what he used in his his uh, artwork. And like, I remember him saying, don't ever buy gesso. Go buy white flat latex house paint that's all you need and I still that's still to this day what I use I've never bought gesso so you know the local hardware stores used to or they still do um they had a paint section that people would return you know they didn't like the color or something was wrong called the oops section and so they would and they would sell it for a fraction of the price and I still I still go and I buy like the oops paint that nobody else wants I love it. I love latex paint. Um, you know, and we were just encouraged to be creative. And but it also came out of necessity just because, you know, I didn't have a lot of money at the time. Um but yeah, and I still I still put all that into practice. See, I think there's something really, really refreshing about this very kind of like almost DIY kind of not aesthetic, but the DIY feel of like you don't have to have the best of everything to create great work you know you can create work with whatever you have with you right now there are going to be things around your home or there'll be things you can find on your trip to work that you can use that can become a part of your work and I think that's interesting because those objects hold some kind of value just for you personally as much as the work the the piece of work or the final image will hold value to somebody else and I think that's really fascinating as well like it's a document as we said earlier it's a document of your time but also it's like it's also like a sign of how times have changed because like you would never get hospital sheets in in thrift stores now. Like that would never happen. And, you know, you just, I don't know. It's, that's just, I just really like this idea of let's use what we have, not let's buy everything. Because I feel like a lot of the time nowadays, especially, there's a huge emphasis on what materials do you use? What paint do you use? What quality of materials do you use? You know, why aren't you buying this? You need to buy this. You must, you must buy this. You must have this. And it's like, art isn't about status art is about doing and I think we've kind of lost that sometimes along the way I think Mm -hmm. yeah I mean and that's why I the materials that I do use especially like cardboard 
um, you know, it is a very like low status material, you know, and that's part of what interests me in using it. I mean, I love the physicality of it too, but I also just love kind of like what it symbolizes, even though it doesn't have really any stigmas attached to it. You know, I think we're all pretty neutral when it comes to cardboard. There's no like agenda there. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody, just about everyone on the planet has probably had, you know, an interaction with this material. And, you know, you just, you don't think of it. I think it's absolutely fascinating because also such an accessible material as well, though, that's the thing. The most ubiquitous in the yeah. world, I think. Yeah, yeah it, it really is. It's, it's When you actually sit down and think about it, it's actually insane how much is prevalent in everyday life because it's literally everywhere. You know, you can't buy anything or you can't have most things without some kind of gravel box. Right. And then, but it's also one of the most sustainable because uh, cardboard is, has a highly, highly, what's the word? A really high recyclable rate. Recycle rate. Yeah. So um, I think it's something in the high 80s, like 88% of all um, cardboard is recycled. And the turnaround time is about 14 days to recycle it oh. into new product. So it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty sustainable product. It's come a long way. So I'm actually really curious um, because I really love your cardboard collage series. I think it's, they're really, it's just really interesting. Just the, the use of material is just absolutely fascinating. And also like just how you repurpose it as well. Like that's what's interesting is that like you're taking something that is around us all the, all the time and transforming it into something new and different. And kind of, as you said, you know, kind of higher value, I guess. But like, does, you know, having such an available material affect how much you create? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, Well, first, I've always loved cardboard, you know, and I love how accessible and universal it is. It's utilitarian nature. I mean, it's so useful. Um, And anyone and everyone has access to it. I like that. Um, it is readily available. Um, I, but I, I love the physical, you know, properties of it. You know, when you get it wet, you can peel the layers. Cardboard has three layers and one, the one in the middle is that corrugated part, which I just, is so cool and different, but it's obviously cardboard, you know, it's highly recognizable. And it's just a fun material that I've yet to tire of. Um, in my cardboard collage series, I played with, you know, the idea of trying to elevate this this ordinary disposable material from its humble status. Um, and I think I, I think that ties into this theme that I have in my life: um, justice and equity or the lack thereof is a theme that keeps popping up in my life. Um, I hate seeing unfairness and inequities playing out around me. And I mean, I don't usually psychoanalyze my work, but there's something about taking this lowly material and transforming it into, yeah, not only something beautiful, but art. Like, you know, you are now art. (laughs) Nobody can treat you bad now. Like every dog has his day. <laughs> so 
you so as you said earlier you're you're very prolific very prolific and yeah. i'm kind of curious like where does that drive to keep creating come from like do you ever just stop and be like i've done enough i need to rest i just one thing i i never run out of I'm, i always have ideas i'm mm. always inspired by something like i i've I have not gone through, I should, oh, knock on wood, I haven't gone through like a dry spell for inspiration in a few years now. I'm like, I can't remember the last time I've been like, oh, I don't know what to do next. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm like, well, idea factory. And I can't seem to like keep up with that. Like I, I can't create fast enough. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because you look at the world as like anything you look at in your day-to-day life can become art. And I think mm-hmm. it's that mentality that you have that is very different from other people who kind of, you know, are maybe just using paints or they're maybe just using charcoal or whatever. Like that's just their quote-unquote artistic medium. Because you look at the world very differently and you kind of see everything as art and everything can become art. I think that's the reason you have so many ideas. And that's the reason that, you know, like even something just simple as like walking, taking a walk would inspire you to create a whole new series most likely. You know, like the shape of like the trees or like the way leaves crunch on the ground or something, you know, I bet that'll probably inspire you to create a whole different series. Well, it's funny you say that because I have been thinking about roots a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was uh, an article or study, I forget, it came out a while back about how trees actually communicate through their root yeah. systems. Yeah. I mean, which is like crazy, right? And that they share nutrients and they they act in this communal way and take care of one another. And I it just blew my mind. And so I've been thinking about that and roots. Uh, like I'm still, it's still percolating, but it's in the back of my head. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing something like that. <laughs> that's so cool. Like this is the thing. I think that's that's the kind of the best way to be because like you're absorbing the world and using that within your art like your art is a part of you and then you're also within your work like it's kind of it's fascinating to see and i think the, the thing is because i was on your website obviously looking at the different series you've done and you've done a lot of different series and i was like what do i want to talk about and i was a bit like all of them but not all of them but you know it's kind of it's interesting just because you've done a lot of different things um and i want to talk about the winter collection which is um really like visually i think this is probably one of my favorite series of yours because visually it's just it's very blue. Blue is a theme in your work that I've noticed. And I absolutely love that because, you know, it's my favorite color. And not just that, like, for me, like, blue is the thread that runs through almost all of your series. I don't yeah. know if that's, an, was that intentional? Or is this just, that's just the way it goes? Um, No, in fact, and it's funny because I didn't, I mean, I know blue is my favorite color <laughs> and, you know, but I didn't really think about that and then our mutual friend Lori Bennett Levy of course was giving me feedback on my website once and and she said well you know your color story I mean you it's you should have blues blues your color and I thought oh well and I don't know it was just weird I thought <laughs> well why? Uh, yeah I I didn't just it never occurred to me <laughs> I was like really yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to always have that pointed out because it's not something I think of yeah. anyway, but, um, yeah, last October I was prepping some bags to use in 
in some collages and I was using a lot of dark blues and salt and using salt salt resist is a technique that I learned while actually I was teaching preschoolers (laughs) where you sprinkle salt on wet watercolor or acrylic paint and the salt absorbs the liquid leaving these little kind of flowery marks and then I would put a white wash over the dried salt and the result looked like snow or ice crystals forming on a window and it just kind of reminded me of cold snowy days when I lived on the east coast when I was young and I've always been really affected by the weather so I thought oh a series that feels like winter would be interesting and that series only had 15 pieces in it which you know isn't a lot for me but I wanted to keep it small that so that I could maybe come back to it later on if I wanted Hmm. and um and actually I was just starting to think about like possibly doing a spring series yes that was one of my questions was like would you do it for other seasons because I feel like it's always interesting to see some of the weather that's very kind of like it's not particularly tangible but creating imagery that reflects something that we don't really see if that makes sense that we only feel right and the seasons I mean I'm hyper aware of the seasons because in my tree planting of course uh, you know there's a sequence of events that you know happening um and so i'm always you know kind of keenly aware of like okay it's the you know it's the beginning of winter we need to be doing this and so um so yeah i kind of like the idea of that because they do the seasons do kind of represent a time and things uh that are going to happen to me so yeah it's something i'd like to explore more yeah because i think also the interesting thing about that is that like seasons kind of always mark a certain time like like everyone has like a preference for a certain season and everyone has like a relatability to certain kind of types of weather or certain kind of types of place and I feel like weather is very universal in the sense of like as much as we all moan about like particularly here in England as much as we moan about the weather like it brings people together like it's something to talk about it's something that we bond over and I'm kind of wondering like if that um, could be or should be more present in your work because I think it would be very interesting I think the idea Mm -hmm. of like it's interesting for me because just having spoken to you now, it's like there are a lot of different threads for your work, like cycles and the weather and nature and kind of just like day-to-day life, the quotidian like life, the fact that, you know, you're just kind of existing that kind of really crop up in your work in terms of like, you know, it's about recycling, it's about renewability, it's about kind of just, it's like, there's so many different threads, ironically threads as well, because that appears in your work also. So it's like, there's so many different threads. There's so many different kind of little like niches and genres and different elements you could add or take away from your work. And it kind of like, I would love to see you, I tell you what I would love to see you do now I'm thinking about it. I would love to see you do like, maybe like a mini collaborative series of like maybe say 20 pieces, which you collaborate with a different artist and you create something and have like, you know, completely different artists. Because I guarantee no matter what medium or materials they use, there's something that you'll be able to bring to it that'll be completely different but still essentially you because you have your hand in many pies, but then it's always very interesting to look at. And it's always like, I don't know, like it, it works so well. I don't know if that makes any sense. Well, I've just made any sense, but 
I don't know, something like that would be really interesting, I think, for you to do some kind of collaborative project. Um, mm-hmm. Just to, to challenge yourself, but also just to see how your work can emerge with other people's as well. Like, I don't know, like, there's something interesting about that. I think you have a lot of skills and a lot of just really interesting, strange techniques that I think people could really learn about. That would be really interesting to learn about. I actually did a collaboration, uh, was it this summer? in the spring or summer with a, another art, another, she's an abstract painter, Crystal Michelson. She's amazing. And she, I wanted to collaborate with her because she is really just like loose and gestural and beautiful marks. And I tend to be a little more rigid hmm. um, in my work. You know, I always kind of revert to like, you know, lines and um, geometric angles and, you know, and she's kind of the opposite of that. And she has uh, worked on used drop cloths before too. And so that's why I was like, you know, what? I've, I've been wanting to do a lot of drop cloth work. And so we collaborated on a series of drop cloth collages. Wow. And it was really fun. Like she kind of got me to loosen up a bed and, and it was, it was great. Like I loved working with somebody who kind of, you know, we have some of the same techniques, you know, collage, et cetera, but her style is just very different from mine. And it was, it was really, it was really fun. I learned a lot. So I've got two questions for you that I just found from that. So the first is like, what is your favorite technique to use? Um, you know, it's funny because in art school, I considered myself a painter, but now I've been getting really into collage. And when I was in school, collage was kind of looked down upon. It was considered craft. And so I didn't do a lot of it then because I thought there was, yeah, there was kind of a stigma attached to to collage and getting crafty now that has changed that's another like just how things are evolving um it now is a a high art form and I yeah I just I love layering I love using different um techniques paint some printmaking cyanotype I you know I kind of just use it all like I'm very impressed because I always feel like, how do you have the time to do all that? Because <laughs> that's the thing. Because it's not just like you're not just like, oh, I'll just try this so it might look nice. It's like each of these processes take time to learn and get and to master, and also then to put together and know if it's going to go well and then not know if it's going to go well. And there's just so much trial and error. Um, that that's yes. what really impresses me. I think that's what's interesting. So actually this is not going in any kind of order that I planned that's fine um but I'm kind of curious in terms of like how do you know when a piece of work is finished then because you could technically keep creating the same piece like keep adding to the work Mm -hmm. I would say like about 95 percent of the time I just know I just know when it's done I like that just feeling in your bones like this is that's a wrap this guy's done (laughs) Um, every now and then, um, you know, I won't be sure, you know, I've had this, uh, diptych up in my studio for the last few months and I thought it was done, 
but there was always something that's just like that's been bugging me and I just decided last week I was like you know what? I'm painting over this thing <laughs> I'm, I'm going back in I'm going back in and so but yeah there was just uh, something nagging at me and that's when I just like okay just go back in and see what you can do because if you're still questioning yeah it's not done do how can I phrase this question is like do so when you finish a piece of work is it a case of like cool it's done it's forgotten about you put it to the side or does it always stay in your mind whilst you're creating another piece if it's finished, if I really feel like it's finished, I I don't think about it anymore. Oh. Yeah, it's kind of like out of my mind and I'm on to the next one. And then if it's finished and I just, oh, I love it. Like there's a a piece that I have in my studio right now that I just had framed and I just, I keep, just keep going over and admiring it I'm like oh you are good <laughs> like I love you and I don't always feel you know I don't feel like that about every single piece hmm. um but yeah it's just kind of funny if yeah if it's a piece that you just absolutely love you know maybe it'll it stays and lingers but otherwise if, if piece is done yeah I kind of just push put it off to the side and move on move on to so, the next so I think that's absolutely wonderful that you actually have a piece of your own work framed in your studio I think that's absolutely wonderful because I feel like you kind of set yourself a standard or at least you kind of have like something that you're proud of that you've created. And I feel like we don't really often consider being proud of what we create because, you know, maybe a lot of people create for other people or they feel like, you know, as you said earlier, it needs to be marketable or whatever, but like just being able to stand back objectively and look at your own work and be like, I actually really like this. And that's actually quite rare for a lot of artists, but I feel like, Everyone's really trying to, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are trying to create work that is mass appealing, that is commercial, that is going to sell, that is, you know, um, something beyond themselves. But I think, you know, the fact that you have your own work framed in your studio, I think that's absolutely wonderful. I think more artists should really do stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, and I've been in that space where I was trying to create art that was more sellable. Right. I there was a time when I was working with some um, interior decorators who, you know, I would create something and then they would say, yo, but, you know, can you do something like that? But now in like pink and orange or in this color way or whatever. And because my first job out of college, I was a graphic designer, even though I hated it. (laughs) I hated it. Wow. (laughs) But, you know, it was a good way to learn you know photoshop and illustrator but oh, other yeah. than that was not <laughs> i wasn't good at it anyway when these designers would ask for um you know something in a certain colorway or you know this or that or whatever i kind of thought about like when i was a graphic designer like well i feel like a hired gun you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'm kind of being told like here do this and i did it blah but it didn't feel it wasn't a fit because it's not authentic you know like you can be hired to do something and that's fine and good and it's a way to make a living but as a fine artist that's hard after a while I think you'll get to a place where you're like it's just I don't know I can't this isn't sustainable yeah I think that's actually a very good point because I feel like 
you want to create like that's what you want to do you don't want to be told and i think they're very different things like to fit like like it's like illustrators it's like having a client and having a brief is fine like there's nothing wrong with that obviously a lot of artists and illustrators do that perfectly well but it's not for everybody because some of the people just want to be able to create without having the limitations of like oh this is wrong or we want me to change that or because i feel like you know you feel removed from your own work and it's like you're the one creating it you're the one putting your name to it you want to make sure that whatever you're putting out into the world you're happy to have your name attached to right and i think a lot of client works and can sometimes obviously unless someone is very good and it's work that you're going to put in your portfolio i think a lot of the times maybe you know it's not necessarily helpful to you in the way like your own experimentations and your own ideas and thoughts would would be maybe Mm -hmm. yeah and i think at some point yeah your work really has you had to find that thing that it's that's really about you or what you care deeply you know and i kind of go back to when i finally was able to like marry my environmental activism and ideas with my artwork that's when it really became meaningful to me and became sort of an endless source of of inspiration for me i mean cuz i know i'm my work, I don't feel like I'm doing anything groundbreaking, you know, like it's, you know, like with cardboard, I I feel like it's all, you know, a lot has been done before. I'm not the first person to work with cardboard. I'm certainly not like some of the like insane artists who are doing some things with cardboard, you know, like Chris Gilmore or Monami Ono, they're, they're doing exquisite things out of cardboard. I'm not doing that, but what I am doing works for me and is telling the story that I want to tell. Yes. But also the great thing about that is that it's because of your upbringing and the way your perspective is on the world is why you create the work you create. So therefore like the fact you're not doing exquisite cardboard art is probably better because it's authentic to you. It's from your experiences, it's from your own eyes, it's from the way you want to transfer yourself to the world. And I think that's kind of, I think I think it is in some ways groundbreaking because it, as to me at least it's made me feel like, wow, well, actually, you know, what can, you know, it's, it's like, it makes me think like, what can I use around me to create art? Or like, what can I utilize in the world to create art? And how do I look at the world differently now thinking that anything could become art? So I think actually it is probably more impactful than you think. Um, because like looking through your website and stuff, I was like, this is fascinating. Reading your biography, which is very well written. I was like, this is such an interesting idea. Like the idea that your work not only looks good, but it actually means something. And it means something to the wider world, not just you. I think that's quite, that, that's just fast. To me, that's fascinating. Like I talk to a lot of artists who, you know, their work is beautiful. I, I have the privilege of talking to, uh, well, actually anybody I talk to is in a great artist. So I have the privilege of talking to many great people, but it's always nice to find somebody like yourself whose art seems to be just that little bit more selfless, I think. It's not, you're not creating something aesthetically beautiful to create something aesthetically beautiful. You're creating something that actually means something to, actually, really to everybody, you know? Your your work is very universal. I don't know if you ever think about that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. Um... I don't because I I mean I always come back to you know art is so subjective Hmm. and it's 
funny. One thing about doing art fairs, I have found that I can never predict what people are going to be drawn to. Hmm. When I love a piece, like a piece I like, like this is it. This is the uh, the showstopper. No, it's I'm always <laughs> wrong. So I have no idea what people are drawn to, and um, yeah, it's different for everyone. And so yeah, I don't really concern myself too much with that stuff. I'm actually quite curious. Though, like, do you ever feel like your work is too diverse? Too diverse. No, I would think, if anything, I probably have the opposite problem with that. I think, like, are people just going to get tired of seeing paper bags and cardboard all the time? Like, you know, am I going to, pl- like... Is this played out? Although for me, I just, I'm not tiring of it. So I just keep going with it. But I do think sometimes like, you know, are people going to look at this and just be like, yeah, okay. Those are bags. Those are, you know, I did, I showed my spouse um, a new piece I'm working on in my studio a couple of weeks ago. It's this large scale, like monochromatic cardboard collage that I thought was really cool. I love it. And and I'm showing you this. And I mean, well, let me preface this by saying he is a business person. He's not an artist by any means, but he has a good eye. And he started collecting art way before I knew him. So I knew, you know, I trust him. And, but he looked at it and he said, well, it's cardboard. And I was like, oh, you don't get it. <laughs> so, you know, so that's always my fear that people are going to look at it and just be like, well, it's just cardboard though, you know, like, and that goes back into that whole like value, you know, challenging your idea of what's valuable, what's beautiful, et cetera. So. Well, I yeah. think that to answer that question, you have to ask yourself another question, which is like, do you create work for yourself or for other people? Cause I feel like the answer to that question will lead you to, whether people are going to get bored of your work or not. Because if you're creating for yourself, as you said, you're not tired of it. So create as much as you want. You're not tired of it. You're the one creating it. It's your life and your time you're giving to it. Like, this is the thing. Like, we forget that art is not, as I say to everyone, I say this all the time, art is not a, let's just do this on a Sunday because we have a few hours. Art is a dedication of time. Like, Mm -hmm. everything you do regards to your art practice is a documentation of your time, of your life. Like, at the end of your life, your art will remain where you will not so it's like you have to remember like yes you might think people are tiring of it and yes people might be bored of it but if you're not bored of it as the artist then absolutely keep creating it because it's making you fulfilled and that's what's really the most important thing in my opinion but right. i'm just some random guy from england so i don't know anything but you know i kind of feel like i don't know like there's just so many people that i that i meet that are like we're very worried about audience and about like oh what do people think and what is going to be good and it's like what do you think and what do you think is good because nobody's asking you to do this nobody's like i think maybe this is very cynical because i'm a very cynical person um and it's so the way i like the way i often think of like the fine fruit bowl is that like nobody asked for it so if anybody likes it that's a bonus i feel the same Mm -hmm. with, with creativity like nobody asked you to create work so if people enjoy it and people appreciate it, that's just a bonus. Anything you do is a bonus because nobody asked you. You know, if that makes sense, that might sound very cynical, but I'm just a bit like, we kind of get very tied up in what we think other people want 
and we don't really ask ourselves what we want. And I think as an artist, you have to, because at the end of the day, you don't want to get to like, you know, 20 years down the line trying to please other people only to realize you've wasted your life because you don't do anything you liked. You know, it's very easy to be done. I'm glad I, I kind of got that out of my system early because mm-hmm. early on in my career, yeah, I thought like, okay, I'm a commercial artist. I need to sell art. So I was marketing my art to, you know, designers, people who are placing art in homes, which I remember I had a college professor who called that living room art and he scoffed at it. You are not creating living room art, you know, like kind of drilled that into our heads. And then I kind of became a living room art, <laughs> you know, artist, I think there for a minute. And, but for me, it wasn't sustainable. I couldn't, I, there's no, there was no longevity in that for me. I mean, literally after a while, I just thought like, you know, I, I'm not inspired by this. I just, I can't do it anymore. And so it didn't last long. And then when I started creating just whatever I wanted, um, Luckily, I found, uh, yeah, I think there is a market for it. And I think that it's an emerging market. I think mm-hmm. the whole idea of sustainable art, art that is um, made um, in a way that, you know, really takes into account materials and toxicity and waste created, et cetera, um, I think is going to gain prominence. It's going to be a thing. I'm I'm banking on it. <laughs> and uh, and for me, it's I mean, I mean, the part of the fun is finding new ways to treat these materials that I use and to push their boundaries. And, you know, I haven't exhausted that yet. So, yeah, I'm going to keep going. I don't not too concerned with the uh, people who say eh, that's just cardboard. <laughs> But I also think the interesting thing is that particularly nowadays, because we're obviously in like the middle of a living crisis, I think that's also going to impact the way people choose their materials and consider the way they create work. And I think it's kind of interesting because with somebody like yourself, like, you know, yeah, okay, the cost of living is going to impact you, obviously, but like your artwork, it might not impact that much because you can still create from the materials you use. You know, it's not like you have to go out and pay loads of money for more materials. Right. Well, also as somebody who I spend my weekends out planting trees, I have a reforestation uh, project that I've been doing for the last, you know, almost 10 years. Uh, I don't want my art to contribute to, you know, chopping down even one tree. (laughs) Like no trees will be sacrificed for me to make my art. So kind of my my starting point but the just the amount of knowledge you must have in just different aspects of creativity is pretty insane um yeah you know a little something I don't talk about very often but for a hot minute I was an actress really yes in between art school and grad school yeah I was an actress and I had a clothing line so I was in really? fashion for a while yeah, I've always loved to sew. I grew up sewing and um, I always, yeah, loved theater and stuff. So I, when I came out to Los Angeles, I came out, I 
you know, for grad school and stuff, I, yeah, I kind of dabbled in being an actress. <laughs> so I love the arts. I love it all. I love fashion, everything. The thread that I would find in that then, I feel like is very informative your work is the idea of transformation. That would be what's kind of like the thread in your life then. Because, you know, acting and fashion, they're both ways of transforming. And also your work is a way of transforming regular stuff into different things. So maybe transformation is just like the key theme in your life. Transformation, escapism, I don't know. It's, you know, there's a little of everything in there, right? That's really fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating. That's kind of interesting. That's it's very interesting. It's amazing what you love when you talk to them. So earlier you were saying about style because you collaborated and you said that your style was very different from the other artist's style. And I'm kind of curious, like, how would you describe your style? I would say it's very rigid. And it's that's something I'm always kind of battling with. I'm trying to be looser in my style, a little more, um, I don't know, gestural or flowing. I don't know. I I just feel like... I will, I will do something. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to loosen up here. And then it always reverts to hard lines, grids, angle. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, I can't help myself. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because you, as you said, you're a control freak. You just like things being a certain way. Yeah. And especially as an artist, I, you know, you think, uh, that all great art will eventually be discovered, but that's not the case. So you feel like you're almost not in control of your destiny, which isn't a good feeling. And so maybe, yeah, that's where that theme is coming. Yeah. Coming through in my work, which is always popping up in my life. But then also is, I guess also part of the reason would be just so that you have a visual kind of reference for your work because you use so many different materials your work could look extremely different every single time you create it. So you want some kind of defining factor in your work, some kind of um, insignia and like hard lines and edges and, you know, grids might be like your way of making sure people recognize your work. Because to be honest, it could look completely different from project to project so that people mm-hmm. might not recognize it's yours unless you put it on your website and people see it. And actually how important is that the context to your work when it's seen like, you know, outside of your website and also like, do you want it to be recognizable as yours? Yeah. And I, I've, I've actually always wondered that I had somebody tell me yesterday, like, Oh, I love when I see your work pop up on my Instagram feed. Cause I know immediately it's yours. And I thought, really? Oh, well that's good to hear. Cause I always, I do wonder about that. Mm-hmm. You know, as you look at your body of work in its, you know, entirety, is there that through line, you know, that, you know, your, your signature style or what have you. And so I, I do wonder about that because I do work with a lot of different materials. Um, you know, I started working on linen not too long ago. Um, the garment district in Los Angeles, uh, we have a big fashion district here and, a lot of textiles end up in landfill every year because fashion designers, you know, especially if they create a textile, they don't want other fashion designers to use it. So they will throw it away. So tens of thousands of yardage lands in 
landfill every year. So there was a designer that was that had that made these gorgeous custom dyed linens in all these gorgeous pastel colors and they were going to throw them away and I said can I have them <laughs> you know like can I have them I promise I won't you know cut a blazer you know trousers out of them I'm going to use them to to paint on and so they did I got you know probably about 50 yards of all these different color linen I've never painted on linen before and I found it's really hard. It's really hard to work with because paint and liquid just drops right through it because linen is a is a looser weave. And but just trying to experiment on that and yet still trying to have it, you know, look like me and be uh, um, recognizable as my work. Uh, I thought was a challenge, and I don't think. You know, I don't know if I was successful, but I mean, it was definitely fun, but it just also, I will never stop experimenting. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll try new materials and try something new. And sometimes it, I don't know. I think that's insane if people just throw like fabric away because it's, it's so expensive to buy in the first place. It's, it's the fashion industry's dirty little secret that is now coming to light that there is so much waste and they're they're having their reckoning i think like right now a lot of it is now being talked about i do believe the art world will be next oh okay (laughs) I, i think it's coming i think it is coming about like hey let's really take a look at the the materials, the waste, the everything. Yeah. Perhaps. But I just feel like, particularly with like textiles, like you could do so much with that. Like, why yeah. would you, like, why would you, like, the, just that, like to me personally, this is just me being, you know, rambling, but like, why if you have the accessibility to give something to somebody that couldn't access that, who then, because, you know, if, like, if, you know, you got the material and they were like, oh, no, don't make a blazer. It's like, but you can make the best blazer ever. You could have the option or the opportunity to create something that's beautiful that you would never have the opportunity to create. Why should that be taken away from you just because somebody wants to throw it away to appease their own ego? That just seems like such a waste because, like, you could give that fabric to the next, you know, like building fashion designers who need to practice or who want to create. You know, they're just, it kind of makes me... I would honestly a bit annoyed because it's about accessibility. It's not like not everybody is afforded the same access to materials, you know, and throwing stuff away that people could use. Like, look at yourself. You could use that to create art. And it's not because right. you're in it to make the most money out of it. It's because it allows you to create other opportunities for yourself. Right. I, I just, that Stuff like that just really, honestly, really irks me. It's just like we mm-hmm. have enough people in the world who don't have access to things. Why are we then restricting them further by just being selfish? You know, particularly like the fashion industry where it's already very like elitist. You know, it's a bit, oh, I don't know. That's something about that that really bugs me. I'm going to start rambling because I'll get myself into trouble. But no, I don't know. And there's a lot of proprietary, you know, propriety, proprietary use of certain fabrics and um, custom textiles. So, 
Um, I understand, like, if you took the time to custom dye, this pink is your pink of the season. I get that you don't want another designer to use. However, I mean, and they were perfectly, like, willing to give it to me, knowing, you know, I was an artist and I wasn't going to, you know, create a fashion line from it. But, um, you know, it. I think... They also, you know, just don't take the time to be like, oh, let's see who could use this. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So just, it just makes me think of like all the people who are missing <laughs> out because they could have used that and that could have gone towards, you know, starting somebody's career at the end of the day. For sure. Because I know when I had my clothing line 17 years ago, <laughs> it was a while ago. Wow. All of my leftover textiles I donated to uh, a women's shelter that makes yeah. they they would make something out of them to sell at their their yeah like, store like that's that. like this a thing like and I guess as your work proves like everything can be reused everything has a value but it's just mm-hmm. remembering that and appreciating that and not just passing on to the next person who can create something completely amazing out of it um, right. I don't know stuff like that just really bugs me because it's just like you're taking away access to things. And you're right. If it's like a certain, you know, custom dye color of the season, I get that. But at the same time, that can still be used. It doesn't have to be for fashion. It can be used for something else. So listen, yeah. somebody might just want to paper their walls with it. You just don't know, honestly. See, I think equity is a theme in your life too. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I'm just a bit like, I don't know. I'm just, stuff like that really frustrates me. Cause I just look at it like, there are so many people who are already going without. Why are we actively allowing more people to go without? It's not fair. I guess unfairness is also not I don't like, um, especially yeah. when it comes to like working environments. I'm not a fan of unfairness. I'm not a fan of, you know, people, certain people having to do more work than others, get, get being paid the same wage, which, you know, is a definite theme in my life, but that's a completely different topic of conversation. But um, mm-hmm. even just stuff like, I guess, when it comes back to art, even stuff like art, like, I guess part of the reason that I do the fine fruit bar is to bring attention to people because, you know, we live in a society that is very much like pay to play. Like, oh, you want a feature? You've got to pay me money. Or like, oh, I will, you have to pay me for this or that. So I kind right. of feel like, I don't know, stuff like, I don't know, I just, I don't know. There's a lot of threads and reasons I do the things I do. But I think just not giving people access who really could honestly really build a career off that or just even just spark the initial interest. Because, you know, like we said earlier, like, everybody's journey is so different the start of your journey is so important but everyone doesn't have the same access or the same you know just the same starting point and i think mm-hmm. you don't have to be 19 years old and to be an artist you can be an artist at any point in your life so all you need is the ability and the well i think as an artist all you need is time space and money they're the three things you need as an artist finding yeah. them in conjunction is extremely hard but i think if you're lucky enough to have all of those things in abundance then i think you can have a very good art career um, and i just feel like accessibility is super important anyway this is a, i'm gonna end that rumble there because otherwise i'll be gone going off another hour about it but i just stuff like that just really bugs me it rules me the wrong way because it's just it's just not fair and it's not even just not being fair it's just it can do a lot of damage for like the longevity of art in a way but anyway let's move on from this i'm going to ramble otherwise <laughs> sorry no, that was a whole I'm tangent totally with you. 
I'm totally with the inequity and waste. They just, it's like, those are two things that just get under my skin. Because, you know, they say, you know, obviously very cliched, you know, one man's trash into the most treasure, but like, it's so true. Like, it's so true. Particularly when like, it comes to like mixed media, particularly when it comes to, you know, everyday objects, particularly when it comes to like, you know, reimagining the world. Like, artists create, that's what they do. They don't necessarily buy, they don't necessarily source, they create. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, just not giving people access to things that they could, you know, I don't know. It just, it doesn't sit right with me. But anyways, out of curiosity, what would you like to learn next? Do you have anything planned for like, oh, I'd have to learn this technique? What do I want to learn next? You know, it's funny because the pandemic and being on lockdown, that was like my, I, I made that into my time. Like, okay what's going to be my project? You know, everyone was mm. baking bread and all that stuff. And I <laughs> was like, okay, I, I did try it and it, I'm not a baker. So I really wanted to learn how to make paper. And so that was my big yes. pandemic project, making paper. I turned my backyard into like a little paper mill and, um, it was super fun. Uh, also, you know, my kids were on Zoom school and they were printing mm. out reams of paper. Oh, yeah, of I course. was pulling my hair out. I was like, oh my God. So I, yeah, again, I was like, all right, we got to do something with this. So we researched how to make paper and I learned how to make the little frame and decal and started making paper and then I started painting on it and now I'm collaging with it and making paper pulp sculptures. Um, I don't have a lot of experience doing a lot of sculptural work. So I thought, yeah, that's kind of fun and different. Um, And then, yeah, after that, I wonder what I want to do next I do want to start incorporating more sewing into my work because mm. I do love to sew but it's been a long time since I've kind of busted out my sewing machine and stuff and uh yeah I used to do a lot of stitch work and I kind of want to start maybe incorporating that again um I also like the look of more industrial treatment to 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 works of art you know like putting in grommets and you know rivets and I don't know like to have a more industrial hard feel I thought you know that's also something I want to experiment with like just kind of more like the mechanics of putting together art and different ways to fasten and stuff like that rather than using you know glue or thread you know just just kind of some non-traditional ways to you know adhere that's fascinating and this idea of like it's going to be so textured like that's so interesting it'll be like really layered and textured but I also kind of feel like and this is a question for later on I'm going to ask you now because it just feels right to ask but like do you think that your work translates well online because your work is very tasteless. Not as well as I would like, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, it's very textured. And because it's paper and paper bags and cardboard, you know, once you get it wet, it takes on a whole 
other physicality. I mean, it's it's ripply, <clears throat> doesn't lay flat anymore. So, and I try my best to you know kind of flatten things out, putting books all over, you know, like <laughs> just trying to weight it down. And then, but you know, when you photograph it, every little curve shows and sometimes that bothers me and I think oh it's probably not photographing as well as I would like um, but that's more probably about my photography skills than anything else um, yeah I, yeah I was gonna say with that you'd have to experiment with the lighting and figure out like where the best lighting is going to be to like to you know because like, did you want to show the texture did you want to make it look flat like the way you place the lighting would be would really have a huge impact on the final image you know i'm a photographer i'm aware of these things but right. it's kind of like you know it's i think some stuff like photographing art i think we don't talk about that's actually quite hard to do yeah it is you know to get it looking like how you want it to look like because a photograph isn't the actual piece of work it's just a representation of the piece of work and because right. you want people to buy that work it's hard for them to gauge like what is this going to look like in real life because colors are always different and texture is always different and you know your work is not two-dimensional it's three-dimensional right um yeah so i think i think my work probably presents better in person but what are you gonna do i feel like i would love to see your work in person i think it'd be so interesting like it'd be fascinating <laughs> to see People are always surprised by the scale sometimes, you know, like some pieces that are very small as opposed to some that are really quite large. And online, I mean, unless you look at, you know, the dimensions. Dimensions, yeah. But even then, yeah. you won't necessarily get a scope of it because how many people necessarily know what a meet, how wide a meter really is? Like, right. You know, like, so, like, you know, I think it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, I work in a hardware store, funnily enough. Um, and I work on a timber saw, so like stuff like measurements, like I understand a meter wide, what that looks like roughly. But I feel mm -hmm. like it's hard for people to gauge scale, particularly online, because everything looks the same size. Right. You know, and when people say mini, do they mean like small or do they mean like tiny? You know, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, right. But kind of actually, not a question I put on here, but now I'm thinking about it. Like, What kind of scale do you prefer working with? And like, how do you choose the scale of the work? Um, I don't really choose the scale. I just, you know, as I'm working on a collage and I'm kind of mapping it out, it, you know, it sort of chooses itself, but probably I, I do like to work a little larger. So, you know, probably like a, almost a meter high by, I don't know what about three quarters of a meter is, but you know, I, I usually so seventy-five centimeters. Usually, like portrait. I, yeah. I don't do a lot of landscape um, orientation, oh. and yeah, pretty big, pretty big. But then, you know, especially with paper pieces, you have to take into account, like, okay, well, is this this is going to probably need to be framed, and now it's getting a little large to be framed. So, stuff like little things like that, just a about the kind of commercial viability you do have to mm. kind of think about a bit um for shipping stuff like that it's some yes. you know, oh yeah also because fragile as well mm -hmm. so there's yeah there's a lot to think about but um most of my sales lately have been um 
Well, even on my website, usually they're local sales. So people mm-hmm. will have the option to come pick up That's or I cool. deliver. Yeah. Or, and I've been doing art fairs for the last couple of years and um, open studio events. I do a lot of sales just directly out of my studio. So people are able to kind of have opportunities, can see things in person. And um, yeah. That's actually a really good business model, though, because you also get to know these people because they're local to you as well. Yeah. And like establishing, because the thing is about art is that like to sell art, you have to establish a relationship with the buyer. Like, yes, okay, people can just come along randomly and purchase stuff, but more often than not, they're interested in you as well as your work. Right. So I kind of feel right. like one thing that we forget very much is that art is just more than the transaction of, oh, somebody's brought a piece of work. It's like they're investing in you as a person as well as you as an artist. But then the fact that they right. can come to your studio, like how amazing is that? Like to be able to go to your studio, to actually meet you, for you to give them your time, to have a look around, to be in your presence with the work. And then be able to buy a piece of work because you're not buying just the work, you're buying the experience. Like that's actually really interesting, actually. Yeah. And right now I, um, in the last year I've gotten into more grant writing and I wrote a grant a few months ago to the city that I work in and they funded my grant and it's to sponsor open studio events at my studio space. And so I know I that's absolutely incredible. Was so happy. I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, wow, you're actually gonna pay me to put put on these events. I mean, it's a lot of work. We actually have our first event this Saturday night. Oh and that's so uh, interesting. Yeah. So it's about 20 plus artists in my studio space. It's actually really cool. We're in an old airplane hangar um, at the Santa Monica Airport in California. And so it's this big, huge airplane hangar that has been subdivided into about 30 artist studios. And we have a big gallery in the center. And so we're having, yeah, big like holiday open house, open studios and, you know, an opportunity to come and meet the artists. get a peek into their art practice and, you know, buy art directly from the artist, which is pretty cool. How that, you know, I think that's absolutely wonderful that you're giving back because it's not just about you and you creating work and being a sell it. It's you being like, let's further the community. Let's further buying art. Let's further, you know, the creative process. And I, I obviously have so much respect for that. I have so much respect for that because I think it's just a wonderful thing to do because you don't have to. Well, coming out of the pandemic, I mean, you know, we lost about, you know, half of the artists in my studio space just stopped Mm. coming in and never kind of came back. I mean, they Mm. still have their studio spaces, but they just haven't kind of been able to get back in and just start creating again. And it was the building has been so quiet for the last two years that I thought like we got to do something to like kind of get get things going again get that sense of community because it it was really it felt like a little ghost town in there so um that was the inspiration like let's get a sense of community again breathe some life into this building get reacquainted get 
you know, kind of emerged from this post-COVID era. You know, yeah. COVID's not over, but like, let's yeah, at but, least yeah. Yeah, get back to work and um, and to remind the community that we're here yeah. because I feel like they kind of forgot about us a bit and rightfully so. Yeah, I think artists were definitely on the bottom of a lot of people's lists during the pandemic. <laughs> to the point that they actually made, I remember reading, at least here in the UK, they made like a, the most important jobs and the least important jobs list for the pandemic. And artists were on the bottom getting, being like, we don't need artists. And it's a bit like, well, good luck trying that one because uh, imagine if we didn't have any artists. Also, well, how is that positive but, towards the art? <laughs> but at the same time, during the pandemic, online art sales yeah. broke records. Exactly. So it's kind of like, okay, then, okay. Yeah. I don't know who I don't know who wrote that exactly, but whoever wrote that clearly doesn't buy art. <laughs> yeah, he has a little grudge against artists. I don't know. No, but I don't know. I think it's kind of the. I do think though, one thing that I thought was quite interesting is the kind of shift in the way that people thought about art or became artists or wanted to be creative or because people had the time. You know, we kind of mm-hmm. take time for granted. Like people need the space and time to create. I think because a lot of people had that space. I think it kind of made people realize like, oh, actually, everybody does have a creative side. It's just finding the balance of working and, and creating, particularly if you work. You know, it's kind of like people just need time to develop themselves. And I think we forget that very easily because we're so caught up trying to make money and live and do adult stuff. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that was forget. what that was one one great <laughs> thing about the pandemic. I mean obviously a lot of bad one good thing is especially for artists is that you got to create under the guise of no one may see this Hmm. like this art i'm creating may never see the light of day so i'm just gonna go crazy and you know create without any expectation and that was really liberating because I, I mean, I went nuts <laughs> over the the lockdown. Um, you know, there was nothing else to do. So I, um, I did take a few weeks off of my studio at the beginning. And then I was kind of the only one who went into the studio. I had the place to myself. So I wow. worked almost every day, just going nuts. It's kind of interesting, though, now like when I think of back in it, particularly here in the UK, at least, because here in the UK, COVID is, for the most part, over, although it's having a bit of a resurgence at the minute, but it's, for the most part, over. Everyone's kind of, like, over it, which is a shame because it's not really over. It's never really over. But it's kind of weird to me because it's just, like, we'll never have that kind of time again. Like, it's very rare that we'll ever have this kind of, or touch wood, it's very rare that we'll ever have this kind of time, time again to be able to do stuff in quite the same way. And to have everybody, to have, like, the world in the same boat, as well like that's the interesting thing because everybody so had to adhere to it and it's like it doesn't matter how much money you have doesn't matter where you're from the world it doesn't matter anything any of your kind of background or politics like everybody was in the same boat i think that's probably the probably the only time in my lifetime especially i think we'll ever see that happen uh yeah no to have a collective worldwide experience at the exact same moment i mean yeah it was it was mm. kind of mind-blowing Mm, I think all going through this at the same time equally yeah of course oh of course definitely not yeah (laughs) definitely not if you're boarding 
private planes to different places in the world when no one's meant to travel. Of course, right. <laughs> you know, right. if you're stuck in a very nice hot country, what's everybody else is saying, you know, being able to not be able to eat because they can't move, leave the house, you know, stuff like that. Like, I agree, but I do think it's interesting that for that one fraction of the time in the, you know, timeline of humanity, like everybody was kind of in the same boat relatively. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. relatively in the same boat. It's just, I don't know. I think in hindsight, I think the pandemic was actually a really fascinating time um, in terms of just like history. I think the way that is going to be a stable is we have, you know, we now have a pre-COVID and post-COVID. Like it's kind of really redefined a lot of the way we think about life and the things we say. Because a lot of things, in our, everything's like post-COVID now. And it's, I don't know, it's kind right. of like, I don't know in my lifetime if we've ever had anything that's quite substantial, I guess. Uh, that's well mm-hmm. actually no that's wrong 9-11 was very substantial there was a post 9-11 and a pre-9-11 but other than something such as 9-11 I don't think we've had necessarily I guess here in the UK we could one could argue the Queen's death but I don't know that much about that but um you know it's kind of like there are certain key events in life that you're going to remember having have changed the world and I think the pandemic is definitely one of them and it's weird because like in 20-30 years the kids then will have no idea of of what it was like which is bizarre i wonder well i in a way i hope not but i i i don't know if that's true um okay <laughs> fair enough okay so hopefully yeah i mean yeah that's a good so, point we I was, yes so i was gonna say um now like in this like sort of post-covid world i am interested in seeing you know like sort of how we emerge from it like mm-hmm. and if there is attention to that transition and reflecting on what was and the reaction going forward you know like if there if it is being considered or if we're just like okay that's over party on you know i think it depends on what you lost during the pandemic i think i think that's really how it would affect people moving forward so i think people who didn't really lose anything i think they're just like cool okay now we get back on with life but I think for a lot of people who lost either whether it's loved ones, whether it's their job, whether it's their livelihood, whether it's, you know, um, just opportunities, for instance, I think they'll remember it in a very different way. And I think actually it's always really interesting to consider like, actually, wait, no, I'm talking about, we're talking about the pandemic. I didn't even ask you about your grocery bag series, which is created during the pandemic, which is what I want to talk to you about. Um, yeah, actually, could you talk about that series? Because you made it, yeah, because you made it during the pandemic. Well, it's funny. so grocery bags I've played around with that idea of using them for years um but their the meaning or their meaning um evolved for me you know the first time I used grocery bags um you know whatever 13 years ago they symbolized motherhood to me um I had my first Mm -hmm. child I was going to the market all the time and I always saw other women with their kids there. And so it took on this meaning of like mom work, you know, mom duties, going to the market like every day. And then I started, um, then I started using, you know, the reusable cloth bags to take to the market. And so for about 10 years, I didn't have any paper bags. Um, in my house. And it wasn't until the pandemic when the markets wouldn't allow you to bring your bags from home that they, you know, required like, nope, we're putting everything in 
brown paper bags, you know, like COVID can't live on that surface or I don't know what their thought process was. And so I started amassing a lot of these bags. Mm. And, you know, when Los Angeles first went on lockdown, I was so um, focused on getting my family prepared for that time that I didn't think about, you know, bringing supplies home from my studio or anything. So, you know, I saw all the bags stacking up and I thought, okay, now's the time to use those. And, and, um, yeah, I started sketching on them with, with, uh, charcoal and, um, my kids and I started making like botanical inks and, and dyes and I would paint with that. And so, yeah, that's kind of what kicked it all off officially. You know, I'd played around with it before, but this, it's like, this was my first like I actually made a collection out of out of them that's fascinating though because again it comes back to just using what you have not having to go out and get things and, and being like oh I have to buy this it has to be you know the best quality it's like let's use what we have let's just create to create you know and I think there's something really wonderful about that sentiment and I, I kind of can't stress like how important that is and how much the people should really be like thinking like that like, I think that's, that's a really wonderful way that you are creating work in this way, like to make use of everything, you know? Well, yeah, I kind of did a deep dive on um, making botanical inks. And, oh, my gosh, like even just that, I had no idea that um, avocados, you know, the avocado yeah. seed the pit and the skins the pit makes this gorgeous like pink color. I didn't know oh. that. And the skins make this sort of salmony color. And um, yeah, I just, I, it was like a whole new world that opened up. It was, it was fascinating because I had the time to actually yeah. look into it and learn it. And it's really fun. Like, would you ever teach workshops? Because I taught for so long, um, and I thought I would teach longer, um, but I sort of, you know, I, I saw my students, you know, creating and I, I just, I missed it. You know, I was like, oh man, I wish I could be, just be taking art classes, you know? And, and that's actually what inspired me to get back to my own art practice. So I don't think I, I don't think so. I mean, I will do like little things for you know, like school projects and stuff mm. like that, usually involving, yeah, like my kids' school. And I've always taught an art class at, you know, art night at school and stuff like that and auction off paintings for their for their school fundraisers. But I don't think I'll be doing any classes or workshops. Just because I feel like you have so much knowledge, like so much knowledge yeah. about so many different things. And I feel like you're the kind of person that like, People, I say that Felix says that in every interview, but like you're the kind of person that people need to really talk to because like you have so much information that you can give to people and you have so much value in the knowledge you have. And I think it's just fascinating. Like, it's just so interesting because there's so many different things you know. And it's, and also there's things you want to learn. So it's not even like you're like, I'll call, I'm done. This is me. You're like, this is me continuing to do stuff. You're like, you're like a deep well yeah. of information. I don't know. Oh, wow. Thanks. I've always thought of myself as just sort of scattered and sort of dilettante, you know, like, like, what else can I do? You know, like right now I have, um, 
there was a construction site up the road and they had like out in the front just their big trash bin right and had all these you know when they when they demoed the building just all the old wood and scrap metal and there was just like this pile of like all this metal bits screws and whatever and I kind of took a handful and I took some stuff and it has been raining for the last couple of weeks off and on. And I left it all outside and all the metal is, has oxidized and it's rusting. And, and I had him under like this piece of paper, you know, piece of um, paper bag paper. And the rust has left this like pattern, this print on the paper, like a rust dye. I've done rust dyeing a long time ago, but it's like, it just kind of happened naturally. And I was just like, wow, that's cool. Maybe I need, I got to get back into rust dyeing. <laughs> like I'm just like all over the place, but yeah, like I was saying before, like I've never had a shortage of inspiration and ideas. I have too much. That's, like my brain is just too fast. That's so fascinating. But also I like the fact that a lot of your work stems from just trying stuff and if it works it's perfect if it doesn't it's perfect as well you know like i love the i feel like experimentation is so much more important than we give it credit for i really do i really do and i think your work definitely proves that like for sure okay so what is your kind of creative process like and you know do you actually have any particular routines that help you focus on creating work uh depending on the project um the last few years i've been doing more conceptual projects Hmm. Um, mostly to, you know, kind of highlight my, the more environmental aspects of my work. And so with those, I definitely start by writing, 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 hashing out the idea. Um, but my day-to-day process in my studio, I just dive in. I just work. I just go, I'm super impulsive. Um, so I tend not to think first, (laughs) which Mm. isn't always good, but for the art process, it seems to work. Because, you know, referring back to that YouTube video, the lone YouTube video that I know I'm not going to keep mentioning, but it was really, really interesting to watch though, because your space is not only really large, but like there are so many, it just made me realize how many different elements there is to your work and how much you do in the day-to-day work. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because just like you have these huge drawers that you pulled out. And I was just like, this is insane. Like, and there's just so much, like, so much detail and effort that goes into your work that I think isn't necessarily reflected when you look at it on your website necessarily. Because it's just like you don't understand the layers, the time, the techniques, the processes. You know, I'm kind of just like it. I don't know. There's something really interesting about seeing that process. And is that something you're planning to do more of in the future? Um, yes, I'm actually been in the middle of documenting a lot more of my work. Um, it was not something I had ever done before. And then a show that I had up earlier this year, the curator asked me to document the whole process. And I thought, wow, I've never done that before. And it was a really valuable not only lesson, but experience. So it's something I definitely want to do more of because yeah, like you said, I, you don't, when you don't see 
everything, like just the process and, and the trial and error. And I, I mean, there's, yeah, there is a, there's a lot that goes into it. I was just really, really, really blown away by just how much goes into it. And I was like, this is impressive. Like, that's <laughs> the thing. Because particularly with like abstract art, because you look at it and you think, oh, I could do that. But you're looking and you're like, no, you actually really couldn't do that. You think you can do that, but you really can't actually do that. And I think is that's that the, really... Is that the definition of contemporary art? Like, yeah, of oh, course. <laughs> that. Yeah, but you didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. I, said, I like that. I like that a lot, actually. But no, it's kind of, I don't know, like, I think abstract art gets a lot of flack, you know, and also like, I'm not going to say that I'm not in that camp sometimes too, but like, it looks easy or it looks like, oh, okay, it's just lines on a page, but it's more than just that. And I think that's kind of just being able to see your process. Honestly, for me, I looked at it and I was like, I have so many more questions to ask because of this. Like, there's just so much I want to know about because it's just, you're such a mystery as well. That's the thing. Like, I just like yourself because you don't have a lot of process images. You don't have a lot of interviews. It's such a mystery. So people like yourself, like I'm always intrigued to talk to because it's just like, I don't know what you're going to say or I don't know who you are. So let's scratch that surface and find out. You know? Yeah. Always I, fun. I think that's on purpose. I, you know, interviews yeah. and stuff make just, me uncomfortable. So. Well, hopefully this isn't, hopefully. But, no, um, this, is my, <laughs> this is my conversation. So, but yeah. But I see, I think that's really funny. Just personally, I think that's very funny because like as an artist you want your work to be seen and you want your work to be understood but you don't really want to talk about it it's kind of funny that's it's a like a funny paradox, right? yeah it's a very funny paradox it's just a, a funny alignment of like everybody's quite introverted but you kind of almost have to be extroverted as an artist don't always have to be but you sometimes have to be um but anyways especially me... now yeah i mean don't you feel like the advent of social media like it pays to have a big personality and I feel like, you know, I see what maybe I would call like Instagram famous artists, you know, who really got their start on Instagram. They, it feels to me more like a brand and mm. God bless them. But I just, you know, I don't, I don't like putting myself out there. So yeah, I, just, I don't think I could do that, but I mean, it probably would help. Do you think that's a generational thing? Yes. Because <laughs> now, cause only because you said that. No, no, only because you said only because you said that. I'm just thinking that like, maybe that's a generational thing because, yeah, because obviously yeah. a lot of of the kids of today that must be sound old when I'm not even that old, but like, the kids of today like they're very much just on social media constantly. Whereas, yeah. like I grew up just before the advent of the internet was really a big thing. Like I remember the first day of YouTube. Like I was in school when YouTube was like the first day. So it's like, for me, it's like seeing everybody online 24 seven is just bizarre. It makes no sense to me. Like there is a life outside. So maybe that's really the kind of struggle, I think, for a lot of artists trying to be more personal online. It's not because they don't want to be, they just don't know how to be. Because for them, that's not the quote unquote correct way to make art or to be an artist. Maybe. Right. That's I'm going to well, be thinking about that now. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, that probably ties into just my my feelings of social media in general yes it's amazing to be connected with all these other artists and to be able to see what people are putting out there in the world in a way that we've I mean, never been able to do that um however 
I, yeah, I just, I don't want, I don't spend a lot of time online. So, and that's just not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see as a parent that kids want to spend more time online than they would actually with real life people. Mm-hmm. And I find that strange how that has shifted. I would much rather, you know, kind of hang out with friends in person than be chatting with them on my phone. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's definitely interesting how times have changed, but it's like you have to kind of also adapt to those changes, but also being very stubborn in your own ways. It's it's like hugely paradoxical. And it's actually something I'm going to be thinking about a lot nowadays. And I was like, that. I'm like, hmm, that's actually quite interesting. Right. So actually, that actually really segues very nicely into a question I have for you in the conclusion section, which is from um, a very good friend of mine called Ryan Dean Howes. I've mentioned him in probably every interview, and much to his annoyance. <laughs> um, and we were talking ages ago about the idea of skill and personality. And we were saying, which is more important, the skill of the artist or the personality of the artist? Um, I think right now, I think 10 years ago, I would have said skill, of course. Today, I would say both. Um, Because with social media being as prominent as it is, I think, and, and, you know, some of the, the artists who are doing really well, I mean, there is, like I said, sort of a brand. They, they're, personality is um is almost just as prominent as their art is in their online presence Mm. so I think it's yeah I think it's becoming they're like becoming equal granted I mean all of them are skilled artists so that is a common denominator they all have but I think, um, yeah, that their personalities being prevalent is is helping and just as important. What do you think? Yes, I say now, so now, as you were saying that, I was just thinking of like the kind of types of artists that I'm currently talking to. And actually, like, I actually have noticed a huge difference in the way people some people are and some people aren't and you know one thing i always say is about like extroversion and introversion and a lot of people i speak to are introverted they don't really want to show themselves but then i every now and again i'll see an artist or i meet an artist or i talk to an artist who's very extroverted and i'm always kind of curious as to why that is and now i'm thinking about it it might be a generational thing and also it's just uh yeah i think the problem is that like nowadays like everything has to quote unquote has to be a brand i think that is a bit of a problem because it's all great being like, cool, I'm a brand. But if you don't know what you're doing and if you don't know what you want to do, <clears throat> you don't know what you want to settle on, creating a brand might not be a good idea because then you can't break out of that and do other things. You know, you don't want to tie yourself mm-hmm. down to like being, say, like a graphic designer and then realize, oh, actually, <clears throat> I want to create videos. I mean, and of course, you can be multidisciplinary and nothing wrong with that, but I think the idea of branding is something that I'm very much thinking about just for myself as well and the fun group world and just all that fun stuff. But it's kind of like, it's the same with business though. It's like, at what point do you become a business as an artist? At what point do you become just an artist? Like, well, like where is that threshold? You know, I'm always kind of asking myself this as well. 
Because just like, at what point do you take a hobby or something you do for fun or something you enjoy? Particularly if you don't, if you're not doing it full time, where is that line between being a business and being like, you know, just a hobbyist? Like, is there even a line anymore? Because you can make money from anything nowadays, you know? Yeah. But that doesn't make you a business just because you make money from something. Um. Well, if that business, I mean, is, I mean, if you're really pulling in a certain, you know, yeah, income, I guess, sure. I guess that would be the threshold. <laughs> the amount you I, make. Think, I mean, I remember somebody told me like five years ago, you know, well, you're a business. And I said, mm, am I though? And they said, are you trying to sell your work? I said, yes. And they said, then you're a business. Mm. And so, and that was kind of weird. And I fought that for a bit because uh, I just didn't like how it sounded. Yeah. But now I really do treat myself. I think it's just responsible to think of myself as a business because I have expenses, I have yeah. revenue, I have, you know, it's like a, I keep a spreadsheet, <laughs> you know, yeah, like I, I have to, you know, take care of business. So, file taxes, all that stuff. So yeah. yes, I am more organized like a business. That's so. fascinating. That's absolutely yeah. fascinating. And I think that's kind of, I think that's actually a really interesting shift in, I guess, generationally, like, whereas in like, you'd be like, cool, I'm a business. Whereas a lot of artists nowadays, like, you know, popular Instagram artists, for instance, would be like, cool, I'm just making money. There's a big difference between just making money and being a business. And I don't mm. know, I think that's a fascinating mindset to have. And I feel like there's so much I want to ask you about that, which is not the time to go into now but i feel like having some kind of i don't know like kind of business not a course or like a workshop or something but i don't know some kind of i don't know some kind of talk about business and, and the arts i think that's needed i think i need to do something with that because i feel like that's really needed um but yeah anyways i'm just thinking about well, what else can i what other work can i create for myself in the future because i'm not doing enough that is interesting. you say that because i felt like over the pandemic, that was a whole new genre that popped up, mm. like the business coach, right? Yeah. All these um, uh, coaches that were, you know, creating workshops on the business of art, how to market your art, you know, this, that, how to get more mm. gallery shows. And I, I saw it just kind of uh, it like ramped up out of nowhere. I felt, and so now it that in itself is a business. Mm, yeah, actually, that's true. This is a problem that everything's a business. That's the issue, yeah. you know, in a good and a bad way. But like that's the issue, and it kind of makes you. It kind of. It, I don't know. I don't know about. Well, you are a business, so it's probably at least said to you. But like, I don't know if somebody like me, like, I don't know if I want to be a business. You know, I don't really know if that's something I want to do because being a business comes with the responsibilities and other kind of thresholds and expectations and like I don't know sometimes biz, being a business takes a fun out of what you do as well because it becomes about money and not everything needs to be about money I think it's very very hard I feel like everyone should have one thing in their life that is not about money in my opinion um but we'll see <laughs> we'll see what happens in the future um right here so I have a question for you from the last artist I interviewed and the last mm -hmm. artist I interviewed was a really, really, really cool photographer called Ben Childs. Um, and his question for you was, how has art, wait, how has your art changed your perspective of the world? Um, I have found that whenever somebody has an emotional response to a piece of art, 
that's when they're sort of the most open about maybe changing their opinions or being influenced or just able to kind of hear a message more kind of openly. So that's kind of when I, I made the shift in my own work. Like, you know, you can really change perceptions, educate, inform um, through your artwork. And so that's when I really started focusing on, you know, my other my other passion in life, you know, my, my tree planting, my environmental endeavors and bringing that into my work as a way to sort of educate about those, those issues. I'll kind of wonder, like, do you think that art needs to have a meaning or have a purpose? No, I don't. But as somebody who kind of gets bored easily, Mm. (laughs) I've always needed a purpose or else I just think like, okay, I'm, for me, okay, that's living room art that I'm creating. It, it doesn't have a, any meaning to me, to my mm. soul, you know, like I'm not bearing anything. So, um, but no, I mean, I, I, I've been collecting art since college and I, I just, I buy things that speak to me that I love. I don't really look for meaning in it. I just, mm. there's something about it I connect with and, you know, so I don't think that people have to like know exactly what I'm talking about and what I'm addressing. Um, But for me as the creator, it needs to reflect my values in some way or else, you know, I mean, I have made art for myself that I just like, Oh, I just love this. It's beautiful. I love the colors, blah, blah, blah. But Right now, where I'm at in my career, it has to, yeah, it has to reflect a bigger meaning for me. That's so cool. I I absolutely love that. And I have so much respect for that as well, though, because, like, you know, art can sometimes be very selfish and it can be very self-serving. So it's nice to Mm -hmm. see people create art that is, like, more universal, more thematic, more kind of, like, let's engage in conversation. Let's talk about something. Let's, you know, connect through this work. I like that. I think that's really clever. Rather than being like, this is a beautiful image, admire it. You know, that's nice. It's nice to see. Right. And you know what? And I think, you know, year a few years ago, like maybe even when I was in art school, I feel like art and nature have a lot of parallels. Um, you know, they both elicit uh, emotional responses or, uh, you know, a, a sensory experience. But... And and maybe were to be admired or enjoyed, you know, you go out in nature to be, you know, to admire the scenery, you look at a piece of art, you know, or ha- or buy a piece of art for your enjoyment. And now it's sort of more kind of gone into that like purpose driven art, you know, that's standing for something bigger, you know, kind of bigger ideas. Yeah, actually, that makes me wonder, like, what do you think the future that art... Well, actually, no, let me ask you that in a second, because I want to ask you before that. Do you have a question for the next artist to interview? You know, it's a lot of things that I've been thinking about, and I think you're about to ask it about the future of art <laughs> yeah. and how just like Web3 and AI and, you know, how is that going to affect fine artists? 
you know, traditional fine artists, people who are still, you know, manually making art and using, you know, traditional materials. Um, if the future of art is more internet-based, where, where and how can you incorporate yourself into that? Ooh, that's a very good question. That's a very good and question. one that I can't even answer. I have no idea, I'd but I'd like to hear somebody else's Is answer. Where and how are you going to fit into your work? Or where do we fit into that? Ooh. So, where do you think the future of the art is heading? Um, I do think it is still going to move into that more sort of purpose-driven um, direction. You know, I think the younger generation, the artists that are coming up are much more engaged in social justice issues, more so than I think any generation that came before them. And they're taking on kind of bigger, bigger ideas, kind of more macro, you know, it's not necessarily just about, you know, like how, how, when I was in art school, it was all about like me, my world, my experiences. It's now this like much larger context of the world and mm. where I fit into that. So, which I think is exciting. I like that. Bigger ideas. That's fascinating. I think it's going to be more community driven, I think. For better or for worse, actually, thinking about like the whole lens app and all the um controversies surrounding stuff like ai so yeah we'll see we'll see where it yeah. goes actually um so yeah. just a few more questions so so what would you like to achieve with your work that you haven't done yet i mean there's so much i haven't done yet i mean i feel like everything i haven't done yet so um i don't really look at it in terms of like what do i want to achieve i just keep going you know i just keep yeah. moving forward you know, I don't really, I, I like to have goals, but yeah, I don't sort of think in terms of, okay, what would I like to achieve? I mean, there's little things like, okay, I would like to curate my first show of mm. sustainable art. Um, I've never tried curation before and it's, uh, it's like abstract art. It's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> so, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. But it's something you know I'd, I'd like to try my my hand at in the next year or two. So, so what does it mean to be a successful artist, and how do you measure the success of your own work? To be a successful artist, oh, man, you know what? That I don't know. I don't know what a. I've always wondered what success looks like. It's something I think about a lot because, in a way, it scares me a little. Hmm. Success and. I mean, quite honestly, I feel like I'm a successful artist now, and that's mm. not because of any amount of sales or anything. I'm at a place where I'm sustaining myself. I have time to create. I have a great community around me that's very supportive. So all those little elements, I feel, are making me successful. See, I think that's absolutely incredible. And I think that's a very valuable lesson because success is subjective you know we've it's not about sales it's not about are oh, you make you know a million pounds from 
your wacky year. That's not success. Success is internal. You know, success is how you value yourself. You know, you don't have to make the most money as long as you're happy and you're, you're at a, like, as you said, like you're at a certain point. And I think that is like, you reach a point where you're like, okay, cool. This is what I want. I think that for me, at least not that I, to know I'm answering my question, but at least for me, I feel like that's what success is. Like when you're at a point where you're comfortable and happy with what you're doing, I think that's perfect. And I think if you feel like you're a successful artist right now, I think that's absolutely incredible. And I commend you on that, to be honest, because nobody feels that way. And it's good for you that you put in the time, hard work and effort to be in this position. If you put a, like a monetary value on your success, I think you're setting yourself up for some misery because as an artist, it, it you have a very inconsistent income stream, right? It, it, you know, when it rains, it pours and when it, you know, a drought, <laughs> who yeah. knows how long that can go on for. So there's a lot of ups and downs. <clears throat> so that can't be how you measure success. And I have found that building a strong community has been the best marker for success and helps me sustain um, this, you know, kind of art business, art career that I have going. Yeah. Finding kindred spirits. I think that's, that's beautiful. I think that really is beautiful because I think like knowing people like Laurie, especially like, yeah, I can definitely see why community is important. Like, like absolutely. Mm -hmm. And just the fact you can meet people and they can really impact you and you have no idea that that'll impact you in such a positive way and just such a different way is incredible. Like, I don't right. know, like, I don't, I think it's, community is so much more valuable than I think we realize, like, especially. So yeah. I absolutely know that sentiment. Said that somebody told me, you know, oh, look at Instagram as, you know, community building and at first I really thought that was bullshit I was like hmm. we are all online like give me a break and then I started meeting a lot of you know kind of like-minded artists or even some you know that do nothing like what I do but are just like super supportive and kind of cheering on your successes and cheering you up when things aren't going well and I really did form this like community online. I met Lori online mm. and then months later met her in person. And then months later went and saw her in New York and, you know, just like keeping up these relationships and then meeting people in real life is always just like crazy, especially after you've had this like online relationship, mm. <laughs> you know, like someone yeah. like online dating and then you meet each <laughs> other for the first time. It's like, Oh my God. It's no, so exciting. <laughs> that's actually my plan for next year, hopefully, is I want to do some studio visits. I want to go and meet artists that I've spoken to. There mm -hmm. are a handful of artists that, um, particularly here, obviously, in the UK, because international travel, maybe, actually. But there are a few artists here in the UK that um, have said to me, oh, we should meet up. We should go to, like, a gallery show or something. And I'm like, absolutely. I'm going to get a train down to London to come and see you, 100%. So I'm like, I might do that next year or, like, do artist promos and studio visits, that kind of stuff. I'm kind of interested in that at the minute. Um, one of the many ideas I've got. So I think I agree with you completely. I went to the other art fair and I met a lot of artists, which is where I get a lot of my um, interviews from actually. I've got a lot of interviews to do from that. I went last year or this year and I'm going to go next year because it's, it's amazing to talk to people, to stand there talking to people in real life about their work. You know, and you're there yeah. for a purpose. I don't know. 
I'm very introverted in real life, which is funny. But when I come, when it comes to like talking to art, the artists and people about art, it's so easy. Um, but yeah. Anyways, the last question because we can finish. So it would be, what are you currently working on, and where can people find more about you and your work? <clears throat> currently, I am working on some these large scale monochromatic cardboard pieces. Um, I'm using. I'm doing, uh, I'm actually doing them for uh, certain businesses. And so I'm using all their oh. boxes. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So one is using all shoe boxes of the brands they carry. And another one is of a different brand using all their packaging materials. And um, so I'm doing that. I'm also in the thick of my uh, of planting season for my native California trees. So every weekend I am out planting like a thousand acorns. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so a lot of my work right now or that I'm planning for the future will be about that, will be all about Los Angeles, which is a lot like most major cities across the world, are losing their their tree coverage. Mm. It's disappearing every year. It there's a dramatic decrease in the amount of trees in the cities at a time when we need them most, right? Yeah. Um, especially in Los Angeles, the city is getting hotter and hotter every year, and we have a drought that's ongoing oh. with no end in sight, and we've had fires. Wildfire yeah, yeah. middle of the city, which is really unheard of as of you know, I don't know, five years ago. Yeah, the Getty, which is you know, our big, yeah. big, beautiful museum in town on the west side of Los Angeles, just miles from the beach in 2019, was a huge fire that like surrounded the Getty Museum. So it's bizarre, and um. Well, it's not really bizarre if you believe in climate change, but yeah. <laughs> no, it's a problem. And it's something that I really want to focus on in my work, um, just to call attention to it, because it is, it's a big deal. Perfect. And where can people find your work online? Online, my website, RebeccaYousef.com, or follow me on Instagram, Rebecca Youssef Studio, um, or come visit me in my studio we're having monthly open studios now through june rebecca thank you so much for your time this is absolutely wonderful thank you so much thank you aaron it was my pleasure that concludes my conversation with the amazing rebecca Yusuf. thank you very much for if you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com or get in touch via social media sites such as Instagram and Twitter. The Flying Fruit Bowl podcast is available on a variety of platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music and YouTube. If you like the show, please consider rating, reviewing, sharing or subscribing on any of those platforms to help spread the word. Please check out theflyingfruitbowl.co.uk for daily art inspiration and if you're a creative, please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. If you would like to support the platform further, we now have a Patreon page for monthly donations. Tiers start from £1 
and for more information, please head on over to patreon.com forward slash the flying fruit bowl. Alternatively, if monthly donations are not your thing, we also have a PayPal for one-time donations. I'll leave a link to our PayPal in the show notes. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this interview today. And until next time, folks, please stay safe.